0: Hello commentary fans, this is Mike again, and I am back with the next commentary in our Halloween extravagance. (laughs) Uh, We're going to be doing another Frankenstein film, but it's not a universal Frankenstein film. I imagine that some of the hardcore horror fans that have watched my channel have been wondering when I would venture into Hammer, and, well, we're going to tried today to do a hammer horror film Um, The Frankenstein and the monster from hell which probably is a surprising choice I know a lot of people regard it as the worst in the hammer Frankenstein series and um, well it's my personal favorite so say what you will and uh, we're gonna explore hammer today in this film and uh, it's brilliant leading man Peter Cushing and his brilliant interpretation of the Frankenstein character. We're going to start the film in 3, 2, and 1. This marks the last Hammer horror film, and so it's sort of a surprising place to really begin, but I think this one really sort of encapsulates Hammer pretty well. And, uh, you know, you might almost say that it's sort of a eulogy and a declaration of sort of what Hammer did so well. Here we have the title, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, which is quite a mouthful. And, and, you know, it sort of sounds goofy, but really it looks great on the poster and has a lot of marquee value, to be sure. Uh, We begin the film in a big, musky graveyard with the little uh, drunkard there who's uh, digging up graves to supply body parts to Dr. Helder so he can get his money to buy his uh, schnapps. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, one thing Hammer usually did pretty well. They always had a sort of a character like this who's um, sort of a drunkard or, you know, vagabond and they're always fun they always play it pretty well Uh, this um i like the beginning of the film a lot actually and just you know opening that casket seeing the uh, body painted with its face painted dead white really uh, shows you sort of what hammer Did with the Frankenstein series that really hadn't been done prior to this in the Universal films was that it really, I don't know, Hammer was theatrical and sort of exploitative, but they did take their horror very seriously. And I think why Frankenstein was sort of a perfect property for them is that uh, they really sort of went into the aesthetics of the story. And that's something about uh, these uh, later Hammer horror films that uh, I actually like a lot in comparison to the original ones is that by this point in time there's an MPA rating system and they can pretty much do an awful lot uh, in terms of gore and horrible aesthetics and that's sort of one of the... uh, criticisms that uh, this film in particular gets is that uh, some people think that it focuses way too much on that aspect of the story and um, I don't know I can certainly see that point of view but I think it's kind of neat I think this really uh, film serves as sort of a transitionary horror film between The era of gothic horror that Universal started and Hammer revived and the era of horror that's pretty much, that we're still in, that's really about sort of, the gore and aesthetics. And I think this one, uh... It's creative in some of the stuff it does uh, and it's definitely you know you could almost say that Hammer uh really started the modern horror film because a lot of it uh is about um the showing what could only be hidden at before And by this point things in this point, I think it's pretty interesting because they could pretty much show whatever they wanted (laughs) Um, Hammer uh, Really I think was a cultural sort of moment in horror films and just really a pop culture entertainment too, you know uh, it's perfect that it came out of Great Britain and the first Hammer horror films and the ones that um, really started Hammer, uh, Quatermass Experiment, The Curse of Frankenstein and Dracula, which uh, became horror of Dracula in the States, I think really uh, were perfect examples of films that uh, challenged societies and culture um, they're just looking back at reading about Hammer in the beginning. They're, uh, original films that uh, came out when they had to be, you know, turned into the British censor board, which was the strictest and harshest in the world. And they're all really just a bunch of prudes. And just some of the notes that they had were so terrifically entertaining to read. And, you know, one of the fun things about Hammer Films, is that you can imagine what these movies were in, uh, in terms of the, how they challenged society. And yet they, I mean they were, it's kind of, you can argue if they're traditional exploitation films or not, but because uh, they definitely still really uh, the Frankenstein series, I think, maybe less so the Dracula ones, uh, really dealt with uh, characters, too, they're really well-developed characters. And, uh, of course, they were very fortunate in the fact that they have uh, some great casts and great leading anchors in these films. You couldn't ask for a better horror star than Peter Cushing. He really sells not only this film, but any Hammer film he's in. And, uh, you know, Christopher Lee and the Dracula films, but the Frankenstein story, or the Frankenstein films are a lot more interesting than the Dracula films, in my humble opinion. Here's a great little uh, side gag we have with the little cop looking around this. Uh, uh, laboratory here, Dr. Helberg's laboratory they he set up. Um, he's played by Shane Bryan, Dr. Helberg. He's sort of the uh, last attempt that Hammer had at setting up a new leading man. They had tried before with Ralph Bates, who I think is a, a pretty terrific actor and he was in, he actually did play Dr. Frankenstein. Uh, when he didn't work out, this was Hammer's last attempt to go younger. And uh, he's a really intriguing character that we get into as the film progresses, but he definitely, um, why I think he's a great assistant to Dr. Frankenstein is that he's sort of in the middle. You know, he's not this boring, uh, straight moral compass between good and evil. Oh, here's a great little side gag. The eyeball comes and stares at him. And, you know, uh, that's part of the charm. Uh, you know, um, I like uh, the original Hammer films, you know, just as much as anybody, but in some ways, I sort of uh, prefer the later ones from the late 60s and 70s. You know, they were allowed to really... Uh, go out, all out, and um, go for the violence and gore, and the sex, you know, that can only sort of be hinted at before, and you know, I I guess that sort of goes against conventional wisdom, because usually horror films, I think, are a little bit more interesting when they're not gratuitous, but it's just kind of, um... They're sort of fun and thematically schizophrenic in some ways, and I think this film is really great at it, and so is uh, Satanic Rites of Dracula. I I mean, I'm probably not a great uh, guy to go to in terms of having a conventional discussion about Hammer films, because I really like Hammer when it stretches out and sort of becomes outrageous. Here we have uh, Dr. Helder. He's, um, being put on trial for his sorcery and trying to stitch a new man back together. And, uh, you know, as I was saying earlier about how this film is sort of, a, sort of a eulogy for Hammer and sort of dissecting what it had done, or what it had done over the course of its history. And I think this really is a perfect example of, uh, in the character of Simon Helder, is a perfect uh, metaphor for Henry of this young man, who's sort of, you know, you could almost say he's a representative of the flower power, you know, the sort of younger British society, younger society, and he's being imposed upon by these conservative rules. And uh, this idea of following Dr. Frankenstein's work is sort of a um, sort of a act of rebellion. Another great uh, Hammer horror film, uh, which I'd recommend as sort of a companion piece to this one, if you're at all interested, is *Taste the Blood of Dracula*. It's a lot of fun. It's got sort of a similar theme in terms of that. Uh, It's about these old uh, lechers. You know, you could definitely see him as a judge there. They put on this mask of being productive members of society and Christians and charitable men. And uh, by night, they engage in orgies and they resurrect Dracula. And Dracula, instead of just going after them, he uses their children uh, to claim his revenge, sort of. It's a lot of fun. We just saw a pretty uh, fake-looking model of the uh, insane asylum there. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. Like, that's just pure uh, movie magic. Here we have uh, the introduction of uh, The Insane Asylum, and it's always sort of a uh, popular uh, setting in some ways for these uh, gothic horror films. You know, of course, the original Dracula with uh, Lugosi uh, took place in, in a sanitarium. But what I, what I like about this film, and it's definitely uh, sort of got that hammer touch, is that it really plays up the horrible aesthetics of everything here. Um, When we enter in this asylum, they really, really go far out. You know, you hear the moans, and these extras are all muttering to themselves uh, pretty horrifically. And, uh, you know, it just has fun with it director Adolf Klaus, who uh, really, um, you know, in, uh, in uh, all of these uh, Hammer films is usually a character like this uh, fellow right here who is sort of, I got saying uh sort of uh, older sort of character who's uh, sort of, you know, got a little bit more, and a little bit more until he meets the eye. He's in there uh, looking at his uh, uh, pornographic (laughs) drawings. And he's sort of a squirrely little guy. He goes all out. And it's really just, I don't know, it's overacting. And, uh, you know, that's one thing about uh, the Hammer Films is that you know there's always someone who overacts in them but uh they always have fun and there's you know there's always a sincerity i think um to the hammer films that i uh you know it's i don't know if it's quantifiable or it's just sort of my interpretation of things But even the characters that go uh, all out like this guy, he's sort of goofy. He's fun to watch and, you know, at least he seems honest in what he does here. And really, you know, this character is sort of the only uh, villain of the film. (laughs) But he's good uh, comedic uh, relief. Here we see that, he, uh, uh, this is a good st- scene, how they stage, you do uh the guy doesn't realize he's, uh, uh, Dr. Klaus doesn't realize he's one of the patients. And you know, the, we got some good acting from uh, Shane Bryant there and the way he wears himself. You know, it doesn't seem unnatural, but he's uh, handcuffed. And uh, that's what they like about the character is that uh, he really, uh, this is Dr. Klaus character, he really goes between one aspect of the character to another. You know, he's obviously behind that door. He's sort of exploiting his position, and you know, he's a pervert. They imply that he goes uh, uh, molesting his patients behind the closed doors, and then when he gets angry and tries to show his um sort of power of the situation. Looks even goofier than he did before. It's played by uh, John Stratton there. And He's a fun character. There's some good interaction later in the film between him and uh, Peter Cushing's Baron Frankenstein. Here we have uh, the first uh, showcase of the lunatics. And uh, they really, really look horrible. That's one thing about uh, this film. They really, they really sort of go all of it. Like I love the costumes in this film. That's one thing Hammer uh, really uh, did well. Like these things sort of feel like uh, costume dramas in some way. They really sort of—I don't know if you could say they look historically accurate. Not really, but they sort of remind me of a play from this time that just sort of feels generically 19th century. And, uh, this is a terrible, horribly painful moment, but uh, it uh, really just sort of showcases the cruelty of the scenario. There's uh, a wedding doctor uh, held down there with a uh, fire hose, which so painful. And then, uh, you know, all these uh, patients who have been neglected are just sort of laughing at it. And over there in the crowd, we're introduced to Madeline Smith, who plays the angel, Sarah, who uh, will be introduced later in the film. But she is very good in the film, despite the fact that uh, she doesn't have any dialogue. They introduce her as a mute character, and um, it really, uh, inter- it's an interesting performance because her face, uh, there's not a lot of expression on it, she's just sort of there, and so you know, it could have conceivably given it like to any actor, but she wears herself really well. This is probably my all-time favorite uh, moment in the film, is Peter Cushing's uh, introduction. You know, his uh, presence is felt Even before he uh, enters the scene, you see them engaging uh, in that torturing uh, Dr. Halbert there. And then before Cushing can even enter the scene, they stage it really well and you feel his presence. Everyone sort of, you know, the lunatics they start cackling, and then uh, later you see, uh, uh, um, before that big musical motif, you know, that punctuates everything, you see the look on the face of that uh, torturer there the little assistant, assistant Franz. Here, uh, Cushing enters the uh, office there. And um, this film starts off. I like that it's, it's engaged, and you know, he's uh, with the uh, woman there. <laughs> it's kind uh, this sort of dark humor, you know, that Hamburg did pretty well. Mm-hmm. One of the things um, that's sort of interesting in how they start this film, I mean, by this point in the film, and the se- like this has been a, a series there, this has been a series by this point, you know pretty well what Baron Frankenstein is, you know, he's uh, deeply ambitious, he's cold, he's cool, I mean, he's sort of, you know... Um, goes into anything, anything. uh, I mean he's capable of anything to get his uh, um, experiments done and obviously he's killed people by this point and uh, he's done horrible things and by this point here it's kind of interesting to see him because he starts off as uh, sort of uh, the good guy it really does it uh, pretty well to set up uh, this environment here, you know, that this mental asylum with this uh, Adolf Claus character, who's uh, so depraved and those cool guards and you know, those patients, obviously, look uh, terrible and they laugh and are cool and so um, Frankenstein, Baron Frankenstein, almost seems like, uh, the good guy in this. Yeah, here's a good, uh, what I was saying here about this character and how he's sort of two-faced, how he, uh, you know, quickly puts on this, uh, this, uh, face that he's in charge and, you know, as soon as he leaves, he sort of, uh, um, his eyes sort of go back to normal and he's trying to quickly uh, uh, give uh, Dr. Frankenstein a brandy to get him off his uh, case. But um, that's one of the fun things about uh, the uh, this film. Not getting paid Mm -hmm. Mm for it. The later Hammer uh, films were trying to uh, sort of revamp uh, the characters. On this one, it sort of is unique in that it really is going back to the roots um the horror of frankenstein was the one preceding this and it really tried to uh uh, redo the whole thing um cushing was not in that film they uh, casted ralph bates in the part um and he's a good dr frankenstein he's stern like cushing and that film's a little bit more of a comedy but uh this one they came back and uh you know in comparison to the other ones like the dracula series had sort of lost all their consistency and they had moved it up to the 70s with dracula ad 1972 and satanic rights of dracula this one's you know sort of a old-fashioned hammer horror film you know uh, Peter Cushing around this time his wife had uh, passed away and uh, you know he sort of stepped back into these films as a uh, I guess you could call it a therapeutic exercise to go back to uh, the things he had felt comfortable with and that's one thing about Peter Cushing is from what I've heard he really loved appearing in these horror films Christopher Lee you know famously uh, claims that he turned down the will of Dracula seven times and through you know intimidation hammer sort of got him to uh, play uh, Dracula again and again but Cushing loved pardon from what I've heard and uh, he would really get into the characters uh, famously I've heard stories that he would read about uh, brain surgery and you know try to get into it you know because he would say you know if there's one brain surgeon in the audience that doesn't buy the scenario then they failed at everything but um this uh, return to hammer uh, I think they're interesting to look at from what you've seen. He's noticeably uh, frailer in this film. He looks a little um, sickly in some ways, thinner, and uh, this, you know, famously, he's not wearing his real hair. He's got this uh, uh, goofy wig on his head that looks so over the top. you know, all this, you could say, could have been ch- uh, challenges against uh, Cushing. You know, the fact that he really wasn't up to the part emotionally or physically, and that, you know, some claim that this is the worst Hammer film he ever did in terms of, you know, the goofy things he's asked to do. Um, that's something I really admire about this film. and You know, the other two Dracula films, AD 72 and uh, um, Satanic Rites of Dracula, is that Cushing doesn't miss a beat. And in some ways, I uh, admire them more because, you know, Cushing, um, he's just as sincere in these films as he is in the original uh, films in the series which are the classics. You really, uh, there's never any moments of tongue and cheekiness in a way. You know, I don't think you would ever see Peter Cushing uh, play a horror role for a laugh. There's never a moment where, uh, I mean, there is obviously, uh, moments of, uh, black humor in these films which are all very good. And Cushing's great at delivering it, but they're never, uh, they're never, um, at the expense of this character and the character is always in control of his surroundings and of his humor. And that's really, really admirable and sort of impressive, really, because, you know, uh, even the best horror icons, you know, Karloff, Lugosi, uh, Lon Chaney, Jr., they all were sort of forced by the end to, uh, to, um, sort of, I don't know if you call Avon Costello the last film we did not make it fun of the characters, but, uh, definitely to sort of, uh, embrace absurdity. And, uh, you ne- never see Peter Cushing do that. And this, uh, you know, this being his last, uh, major, uh, horror film, Frankenstein the Monster from Hell, The amount of dignity and class that Cushing has, especially, you know, he hasn't changed a whole lot from the original Curse of Frankenstein and, um, you know, that's commendable. (laughs) This guy is so entertaining, this uh, Adolf Klaus he's got that little thing of uh, after he sh- there, <laughs> and he gets caught there. <laughs> uh, their um relationship is really really uh, interesting. You know, you see, uh, they sort of hint at how uh, Frankenstein got sentenced to this asylum and eventually was able to um blackmail himself to the point where he's effectively running everything, and uh, you know, you don't need uh, the exposition, you just need the performances of these uh, two actors to really go into it, you know, of how uh, calm and collected and confident, you know, Peter Cushing is, with how, you know, squirrely and wild that Adolf Klaus, John Stratton character. (laughs) Here we are introduced uh, to the uh, various patients. Here, Müller, he thinks himself to be God. He's not the first to suffer with that delusion. And I don't expect he'll be the last it's a great line and it's you know a perfect line for uh, this character to uh, have. God is always in perfect tale of course but how is Hugh Mueller? <laughs> One thing you'll notice Uh, about uh, the Hammer uh, films is that, you know, they are sort of uh, confined here, and it's really all about uh, the acting, I think. And, you know, some would claim it's sort of about uh, uh, sex they can get in there, too, but... um, I think, uh, you know, you're in the hands of Terrence Fisher, who I haven't discussed uh, quite yet, but he's um, the director of, I think, every one of these Frankenstein uh, pictures, except Evil of Frankenstein, which really suffers from him not being involved in it, and uh, The Horror of Frankenstein, which Jimmy Sangster directed, who, um, he was sort of the screenwriter behind the first few Frankenstein films, and he was really the one responsible for all the sort of sardonic wit in them. Uh, but he directed the Ralph Bates uh, picture. And this is the return of, uh, of uh, Terrence Fisher to the part. And he's um, really great horror director responsible for, I think, um you know of uh peter Cushing you know, is the acting uh, legend of hammer and terence Fisher is the director and there's some great imagery in this film that they stage the shots of the middle i really like these sequences here and these uh, little cells how they do them this is a great shot you know you see those bent uh bars or herr schneider who uh, we're going to be introduced to later in this film Uh, You see them, uh, you see the the stage there and it's sort of claustrophobic feeling, you know, it really plays into uh, the idea of this setting, of this madhouse. He was fascinated by broken glass, he likes stabbing people in the face with it let him rest in peace uh here's a here's another thing that I think people can uh really uh learn from Cushing it's just like you know not just horror films but uh really uh, anything like that you know obviously uh what they're sort of leading up to is that uh Frankenstein, you know, uh, he's not—he's not, uh, he's not um, done with his work, and so uh, some of the lines in earlier in the picture are about, you know, foreshadowing, and I guess um, you could traditionally call that a link at the camera. But um, Cushing isn't over the top with it. And it feels witty, but it's not. Um, it's not insulting to the audience's intelligence, and it's not just a fan service. You know, uh, Cushing, I think, found a way to really um, do it as an expression of this character. And even by uh, this point in the series, you know, Cushing is very comfortable as Baron Frankenstein. I think it's really, really uh, impressive the way he delivers, you know, that sort of thing. Like, he plays uh, Baron Frankenstein as sort of this uh, alien in a way. You know, he's so disconnected from humanity, you know, obviously... Everyone's expendable in, um, in comparison to his uh, uh, in comparison to his work, and um, uh, you know it. Uh, it's uh, not quite as uh, theatrical in that sense, or overly theatrical. There we have the one scene with Professor Durandell who, the poor guy, really uh, suffers pretty terrible fate in the film. I really like uh, sort of, you know, also the theme with The Insane Asylum, you know, the fact that it goes into who is sane and who is not. And, uh, you know, um, that's always sort of an interesting trope in horror films. Freaks uh, sort of did that as well, which we'll probably do a commentary on. I keep promising that probably several, I've promised a commentary of freaks several times. But you know, uh, the idea of um, these patients that are troubled and uh, studied by these doctors and ironically that they're uh, sort of uh, I don't know, you know, they're not sane, they say that they're more honest with the world and they don't wear the false faces that the other characters do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, Dr. Frankenstein, uh, Baron Frankenstein, as he's called in these series, is so intelligent, but, um, you know, when comparing him to lunatics, he's more of a danger any of them and uh, you know by the course of the film they really I think they bring that sort of thing into a satisfactory uh, conclusion here we have Madeline Smith again and going into what I was saying earlier about her uh, character um, I, I buy it I really do, uh, and I like uh, sort of the um, restraint that uh, the show with this character, you know, Hammer, obviously a lot of um, the leading Hammer ladies are chosen for their uh, sex appeal, and Madeline Smith is certainly very beautiful, but she's very uh, talented and uh, an actress. And she, uh, the way she handles that uh, little sculpture there, is pretty uh, touching. And I like the way that they built up her character. Um, the lunatics all sort of see her as their salvation. You know, they all want to, uh, to protect her. And um, one of the things about uh, the Madeline uh, Smith character or just um, in comparison to the other Hammer leading ladies is that uh, you know um, Hammer did do a lot of exploitive things in terms of sex he was concerned and you know and uh, with the other uh, pictures especially around this time uh, Dracula A.D. 1972 and uh, Satanic Rites of Dracula which You know, I I know I've compared the two series a lot, but they sort of are uh, congruent to one another and uh, very much um, interesting to compare in terms of what they do with the main characters. But uh, the Dracula series, you know, maybe it's because Dracula uh, uh, went into um, sex more often and as part of the vampire character, but they did do a lot of gratuitous nudity. And so, you know, I think the temptation could have been there for Hamburg to uh, um, go into uh, that with a character in this Frankenstein film. And they don't. You have uh, the Madden's character. He's just very kind and um, very, uh, you know, uh, A bright spot in this dark and bleak world. And uh, that's all she is. And she's great. It's a great female character. and uh, You know, you really uh, identify with her because of that. You uh, don't want her exposed to the horrors of all this. This is a great shot. and it is sort of a grisly moment. The casket opens because the lunatics are... Uh, can't handle being pallbearers. And then you see uh, quickly that the hands are gone from that uh, master craftsman. And uh, Cushing quickly puts the lid back on the casket for anyone could see. And I like uh, Dr. Helder's reaction to it. He's remembering um, you know, the line that, could you believe that masterwork could come from those hands? Uh, And, uh, you know, like in some of the other ones, uh, uh, the other films, uh, you know, especially the original Curse of Frankenstein, which a lot of people still consider to be the best, you know, as soon as uh, Frankenstein's uh, helper uh, discovers everything and so they just get appalled that Dr. Helder uh, Shane Bryant was really great in that scene it's a little brief moment he just sort of has a smile on his face you know Uh, and that's why I think that this is the character is good and this film is good because uh, this character sort of starts off um, you know he does come to a moment later in the film where he sort of questions the ethics of Dr. Frankenstein But he starts off like so impressed and almost like Frankenstein originally was where even he um, gets to the point where uh, um, he's willing to uh, um, go about with ethics a little bit. And uh, if the experiment needs a piece to succeed then you know, maybe Dr. Helbert can be convinced, unlike some of the other characters in this Frankenstein series. And it's interesting, because I think like having a character like Dr. Helber really strengthens the Baron, too. Because, you know, uh, well, the Baron sort of uh, has always been on his own and, you know, be deprived humanity. And I think he gets a. Uh, plays a little more of the nuances having someone similar to himself in the picture. Here we have uh, the introduction of the Baron's uh secret laboratory, and it's behind that great uh, painting of uh, it's almost like a renaissance painting of the muscular system. Reminds you of Da Vinci, it's a great little prop setting. And uh, uh, Simon is going to uh, discover the monster. And here I think, um, well it's certainly indicating why uh, the Hammer Frankenstein uh, series is different from Universal's. And Hammer, I think, you know, even though the series wasn't consistently as good as Universal's, um, they had a better idea for how to turn the Frankenstein idea into a series. Um, their focus was on the Baron always, or Universal really just made films about uh, the monster and so um we're about 45 minutes of the film and uh we still haven't uh seen the monster yet but you know i almost uh don't miss it all that much just because um Peter Cushing is so fascinating as that Baron, and it really uh, speaks to his uh, talents because, you know, I mean, uh, I guess this might sound like an attraction, but it's not really because, uh, I think, just, you know, Terrence Fisher's direction and Peter Cushing's acting, you know, not a lot has really uh, happened in this movie so far. Uh, it's really just been a lot of exposition, you know, Peter Cushing sort of showing around uh, and Simon Halbert around the hospital and you know there's been some brief hints that something uh, more uh, sinister might be at play, but um, uh, you know, not a lot's happened really, but you know it doesn't feel like it because Cushing, you know, he's just so entertaining and he's so into the character and you know uh, it just makes this uh, sequence all the more interesting in that you finally see uh, the build-up from Cushing has finally led us to the monster and it's just all the more fascinating and uh, this is the closest uh, the movie comes to a scare because, really, uh, by this point in the series, there's not really a lot to scares. It's really just enjoying uh, a cushion. But uh, they uh, set this up really well. And then you think he's going to uh, um, open that little uh, canvas over the cage. And, you know, it's sort of symbolic. Uh, sort of symbolic that uh, the payoff isn't uh, the monster, it's uh, Cushing walking in. And you just realize uh, that uh, he is the true horror icon in the series. He is the icon and not the monster. And uh, you know it's... You know, I don't usually think it's a good idea to frame a series, but if you were to, say, uh, go into the Frankenstein series, or, you know, go into the Frankenstein mythos with, with the intent of building a uh, series of several films or stories, it's better to uh, go into The Doctor, I think, because it really uh, uh, showcases. Uh, more original ideas because you know he's a doctor and he can uh, do more experiments and build more monsters and it just you know allows for newer things to happen and that's generally what Hammer did. They uh, allowed the Peter Cushing monster to uh, do new things and new experiments and spins on things um, a really interesting film this Frankenstein created women because in that one Frankenstein engages in uh, metaphysics with his electricity and stuff and you know it's really just sort of about the monster or I mean not about the monster it's about uh, just sort of the how Cushing frames is that experiment Here we have um, we just I mean I'm just having so much fun exploring Cushing that I almost uh, completely went over the introduction of the monster there. and um, I don't know, like, this monster, he's really, uh, really out there. In fact, he probably looks more like a gorilla than he does anything else. And, uh, you know... um, uh I don't know. It's uh, it's something to behold. Like a lot of people really, really hate it. And to be fair, Hammer's strong point was never really their um makeup design. They all seem uh very, very uh theatrical and uh um, very, very theatrical and you know, they you sort of see the fake and this one, uh it's really just a mask uh, being worn, but I think it's—I think it's a, i do I, I don't know. You know, it's just so blatant and uh, extreme that I sort of have fun with the look of this monster. Uh, you know, it might just be me being nuts and defending a bad move, but whatever. I really like the look of that monster. Uh, you know, you. Uh, I can j- judge it on how well imagined it is and uh, it's fun looking, that's for sure. And of course he's, uh, which I haven't mentioned yet, is that he's played by uh, Dave Prouse, who, if that name sounds familiar, it should because this is the first time that this dynamic duo uh, worked together, Peter Cushing and Dave Prouse. Peter Cushing famously was in uh, Star Wars' his Grand Mouth Tarkin. That's a great performance by Cushing. Might, you know, be his most beloved out of all the films he ever did, and of course Dave Prowse served as the, um, served as the, uh, uh Darth Vader. <laughs> Can't believe that escaped me, but um, uh, this is the first time they worked together and Dave Prowse, if you, like he's a perfect choice to play a Frankenstein monster. Uh, this isn't the first uh, picture that he played the monster in. He was in Horror Frankenstein. This is the only instance of continuity between the uh, films, I'm assuming that this is the same Frank- Dr. Frankenstein and uh, Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed which is pretty, like, it might be my choice uh, for the, I don't know, uh, it might be my choice for one of the lesser entries in the series. It's really just about brain-swapping, but Frankenstein presumably died a fire in that one. I think uh, with that title Must Be Destroyed that it might have been intended for uh, the final entry of the character, but just um, and they explain that his hands are burnt and that uh, he can't uh, um, he can't uh, perform surgery anymore. And so what he's been doing is having training Sarah to do the surgeries for him, which is really uh, uh, perfect. you know it's sort of just you know the idea of it's sort of aesthetically, Terrifying an amateur surgeon. It would have been interesting. Because, uh, it would have been interesting to see it, um, but it probably just would have been a little too much. Uh, this moment is one where they, you could tell that this is. Uh, oh, if you're watching this in America, that this is the R-rated version of the film. It's pretty much the only one that's been available right now. Uh, Britain recently just got a uh, a uncut Blu ray, which I'm really tremendously uh jealous about. Um, I would love to see this film uncut, but uh, you see in that film, he's reattaching the hand to the monster, and uh, uh you see there that uh, um, there was a sequence where they actually moved uh, the hand. And I uh, watched like sort of uncut version from, uh, you know, the, I guess Japan and Germany got an uncut version of the film before anyone else. Did. And that's pretty gruesome. In fact, a large uh, part of this film is uh, just uh, Simon uh, performing surgery on the monster. And, uh, just going above what I was saying earlier about, mine, you know, so maybe that this might be, uh, gratuitous, but I think there's something to be said about it, you know, uh, seeing these surgeries cause, um, I don't know, it's, you know, sort of interesting that, uh, you see the, uh, this film go into, uh, the, uh, surgery because, you know, like I was saying that it's such a huge part of the Frankenstein films and it's always been hinted and applied at, but never quite shown to this extent. And we'll see it later. This is a great moment where Helder says, uh, hopefully it will be he who sees, we'll see. Uh, and then uh, uh, Cushing uh, just sort of starts laughing uh, almost, uh, you know, he's not quite manically, he's not like an evil mad scientist laugh that you might come to expect, but he just sort of got that uh, quaint little laugh, and uh, I think that is a great moment in the film. It's brilliant acting, my cushion, because it really showcases the character, um, really showcases the character. Because, you know, like by this point, like I was saying, he's sort of a low em, you know, he's just, you know, he's sort of a sociopath, doesn't care about anyone but himself, this Dr. Frankenstein, and just sort of see him, you know, casually get into uh, his relationship with Dr. Helder, who's been the closest thing that he's had to a friend, and, you know, letting down uh, the intricacies of his character and trying to get into a, Almost human relationship because she plays that really, really well. And, like, that moment Terry starts laughing, it might be one of the creepiest sort of bits in the film. One thing I'll say about Dave Prowse is the monster, he has pretty expressive eyes. Uh, This isn't a makeup he's wearing, it's a costume. A pretty extensive um, mask that covers a lot of his face, but they leave his eyes, for the most part, pretty open. And I like the way that they frame it, like the makeup around eyes, it's really black. And uh, just the way he uh, opened them there, I think is pretty interesting. Uh, The makeup, uh, like I was saying, it's never been a strong point of these Hammer films. Um, Evil of Frankenstein I think might have the worst makeup of any uh, Frankenstein film. Uh, They tried to mimic the Universal makeup. Jack Pierce for that film, uh, Universal finally uh, let them uh, let them uh, use the makeup for that film and it just, uh, it just really plaster. and there's no ability for anyone under that makeup to act uh, the makeup uh, for this uh, for the film preceding this, the Ralph Bates Frankenstein film, Horror Frankenstein is pretty good too uh, it's better uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, better in terms of long Dave Prowse that it sort of looks similar to the Universal films. Here we're entering uh, sort of a point of conflict that's always happens in, the, in these uh, Frankenstein films where uh, Frankenstein needs a piece of the puzzle for his monster, but uh, you know, the fact is that uh, you know, unfortunately someone's alive, and so they have to uh, get a piece of the puzzle, they have to kill someone. And, uh, you know, uh, Simon here is sort of blissfully ignorant of the Oh, that's a horrific image there, he's still breathing under the violin strings there. Ugh. Um. But it's always been a piece, in fact, it's one of the most uh, shocking scenes in uh, The Curse of Frankenstein, it's a moment sort of very similar to that, where uh, Frankenstein wants to put the brain of a genius in uh, his monster, and uh, so he invites this old uh, crotchety professor to his house and brings him to the top of uh, this staircase, and pushes him off, and I don't like, The first time I saw The Curse of Frankenstein that's a great moment because it really uh, shows you how different this monster is than any or this doctor is than you know compared to Colin Clive because like you said you like uh, Colin Clive's Frankenstein he's not a bad uh, man he's just sort of a dreamer who has this impossible, terrible dream, and he doesn't really want to do bad, and he's just sort of swept up with the the Frankenstein, you know, I don't think uh, you might say he's distinctly evil. Uh, In fact, he probably is, but it's hard not to like him, because Lee is so, or not Lee, gosh, that's a cardinal sin, Using those two, but Cushing is so, uh, you know, w- he's witty and he's, uh, like I say, he's so sincere that you he, like this doctor, even though he is morally questionable to say the least. Here we have uh, brain uh, surgery, which this is. Uh, um, I don't know. You might say that this is gratuitous, and it probably is a fair curse. And That dummy that they built of Professor Durandell is so so goofy, but uh, you know, ugh, just sort of seeing this—they uh, they really don't uh, don't um, hold back at all here. And this scene, um, you know. I know a lot of people don't like these moments in the film, at least from what I've read from views and reactions, but uh, I sort of do, and I'll explain why. I think uh, it's Cushing uh, that sells this. Um, You know, it's not overly, at least, uh, well, the scene's very theatrical and very over the top, but it's not from... Cushing's, uh, from a standpoint on uh, Cushing's uh, performance, Uh, he plays this uh, just like um, a teacher teaching his uh, student, and really all this is, is, um, I don't know, like goofy, like not even horror movie B-science, but sort of just like Theatrical anatomy lesson, and uh, you know, just seeing Cushing deliver these lines, you know, he's like a teacher. It's just, I don't know, it's kind of fun and interesting. You know, it's just like, I don't know, obviously, that stuff, you know, for a typical horror fan who's just in there for uh, over the top monster and violence and gore, you know, that might be boring, but we have an actor like uh, Cushing. He's really, really into it. Um, it doesn't seem boring. It seems honest and sincere, and I'd even say entertaining. I mean, that's just, that's really the highest praise I think you can give an actor who makes uh, brain surgery uh, fun to look at. <laughs> Here we have um, Helder at first uh, start to uh, um, start to uh, question his hero, and uh, he's so into the uh, the brain that he uh, doesn't uh, look at the concerns that. Um, the concerns that helder had, because obviously he stages this here for the professor to finally see what's going on with uh, the monster, and uh, or to see what's going on with uh, his uh, diagnosis paper, and so he kills himself, and uh, it's just, you know, it just... Uh, This sort of moment, like I said, happens in pretty much all these Hammer Frankenstein films, and so, uh... I I like the fact that Helder doesn't completely uh, betray the monster. He wants to uh, bring this experiment out to its, uh... Conclusion. <laughs> how fun is that he's uh, sniffing his soup uh ah, kidney's oh delicious. It just kinda shows you how detached from everything he is. Alright, this moment is why I'll defend uh, the uh um the uh, these uh, long drawn out uh, surgeons, surgery sequences, because this is genuinely uncomfortable uh, to watch, and it's largely because of uh, um, Prouse's performance there. You see him on that. Uh, uh, table there being poked and prodded at and we're moving his uh, brain and Cushing says they're cutting the spinal cord and he's breathing so heavily like he's up and aware in it and that's like and then you, they top it off with the old brain falling just like being chucked like a piece of trash. Uh, you know, that, that, I mean, presumably this has happened in a lot of Frankenstein films before this. And, uh, you know, it just, um, you forget it. You forget it because it just sort of happens off screen. It's just talked about. You never see it. But um, it really, I think, draws you to the monster to actually see it done the fact that he's this. Overgrown uh, freak, there, and you know, being poked and prodded at like an animal. It reminds you of the fact, well, it's sort of, I don't want to say reminds you of Karloff, but it reminds you of the fact uh, that the monster has never been in control of his own destiny. He's always been to the subject of these scientists and you know, that's really what the monster's about. And so it is sort of poetic, ironically, even though, um, you know, obviously it's extreme. Uh, one moment that I don't want to uh, completely forget about, even though the monster is finally awakening at this point in the film, uh, is the scene you just saw where uh leaves or Helder leaves the room when they're talking about uh, the monster he uh, away from his transplanted brain surgery and they say 10 days and they all, uh, you know, you see uh, Cushing humble himself to say thank you. Uh, that's really an incredible uh, small moment in the film because I think it uh, goes into the character You're up to this point. He's never humbled himself like that. And, uh, it's something new with the character. Like I said, you know, the introduction of Simon brings out nuances that we had not seen in Cushing before. This scene actually works because of uh, Proust. there. He has the perfect reaction, like they don't uh, do anything. Um, they don't do any. You know they don't. Uh, they don't. Um, they don't uh, make it too much. You know what I mean by having him come to life and you know engage in the horror right away and start murdering people. All he you see him come to life, look at himself in the mirror, and realize. That he's become a gorilla and all he can do is just sit there and cry. And uh, it's something that this moment is effective because there's a lot uh, sort of working against it, just that that custom was so uh, out there. And, you know, Dave Proust, you know, some people might say that he wasn't uh, much of an actor and to be in that costume, uh, it it works. And I like his voice too, like the monster doesn't get a lot of dialogue in this film, uh, but it's sort of a raspy voice that uh, the dialogue that he does get is delivered really well because it sort of uh, goes um, Sort of shows like the difficulties, of uh, the mechanics of this poorly stitched together body. One thing I'll say also that I like about this monster is his uh, hands that we saw were uh, brought um, from that uh, sculptor crafted onto the body. Um, They really uh, uh, sort of showcase the awkwardness of the character very well. Um, This costume, uh, you know, he's not a human, obviously, and sort of a gorilla. And then uh, you almost see the plastic in there, like they, uh, they... really blow like, the musculars out of proportion and the hands seem very small and sort of almost, uh, I don't know, feminine in comparison they're, and they're dirty, very sleek and slender and it really, uh, he uses them pretty well, like these moments where he's looking at them and there's a great moment in the end of the film where the hands, like really explain the character all so well. (laughs) This is another sort of uh, funny moment Uh, that's like sort of the humor uh, about this character, but also some of the uh, scary moments has always been that this uh, Baron Frankenstein character has always uh, sort of had a... uh, Egotistical streak, and you know, there's nothing he loves more than to have the uh, Helder uh, character um, stroke his ego like that. One thing I also uh, sort of think that Proust does pretty well, and that the movie even addresses with some of its uh, lines, is the fact that this. Uh, this monster, you know, he's pieced together and that all the pieces, uh, they're not uh, meshing, and uh, you know, it makes sense that they would mesh, you know, there's so much asked here um, there's so much asked of the character, of the audience, that's uh, what I mean, is that, you know, the idea that Uh, Cushing thinks it's a great idea to put the brain of this master mathematician into this uh, uh, gorilla. Um, And so, you know, it obviously doesn't work together, and you see the monster complain about his hands and how the brain and his new uh, spinal, uh, or, you know, his new uh, nervous system can't... uh, will quite grasp everything and um, you'll see it in his hands like that they look uh, out of place there and that they look um, uh, you know he doesn't quite wear them with confidence there and uh, um, later you'll see the monster is doing the, the math problems there. And there's sort of a regression in uh, the character. Then they're worried that the body isn't accepting the new brain. You need a Peter uh, Cushing to sell this in a way. You know, I mean, it, just like on face value on paper, the idea of uh, this giant gorilla doing math problems at the behest of this uh, doctor is just, uh, you know, I. I to be fair, it's sort of laughable, and you know, I guess maybe some people did laugh at it, but um, uh, but uh, you know, you have Cushing there, and he grounds it so well, like he is completely into so it's not humorous at all. There we uh, saw, uh, what I was sort of trying to articulate there, you know, his hands sort of are shaking like that, and you know, he walks very like the monster, in this uh, film, it, you know, it sort of shows uh, how everything uh, just kind of shows how everything uh, works there. And, you know, I sort of of think this is an interesting idea what we're talking about here, what Dr. Frankenstein's talking about here, the idea that the monster decays and that everything will regress. Um, I think that'd be an interesting idea to uh, start a Frankenstein film about... Here's a moment that, uh, the monster sort of finally does uh, get his uh, he, start, he starts to become malicious and villainous and you don't really expect it. Um, uh, Sarah here is aligned uh, with the monster and uh, I, th- I think this is a moment that um, they've tried that I think uh, the film like it suggests it and they could like it hints it up and I'm glad that they uh, didn't go with it like you'll see Frankenstein in a moment sort of go with it but you see Simon kiss Sarah there and the monster looks on a sort of uh, jealous way as if the monster uh, um, sees in Sarah you know and i I'm um, something that he wants to lust after. And uh, that's could, um, that is sort of done with the film there. Um, That is sort of uh, hinted at uh, later on from Frankenstein. But I'm, uh, I'm glad that it really what they want to do is uh, stick with uh, the original idea of the character and that the angel is the salvation and that they don't want any harm to come to her. I think it'll give the monster uh, whatever mythos that he has. Here's a great uh, sequence that um, uh, fun little trivia bit. Uh, I guess uh, you know, uh, Peter Cushion was so into this part that uh he did that stunt of the film. And you know, just seeing him, you know, like he doesn't look in the best of health in this film. But uh, you know, even at I think he's fifty nine or sixty, he's still as the should do, uh, jump on Dave Prowse's back to perform that stunt. And it really gives, uh, you know, you really admire that. That gives them a little bit some authenticity. I wonder if they, how late they filmed that uh, in there. I mean, I wonder if they transition there because it seems real uh, Cushing's uh, exhaustion there. <laughs> Here's something that I, uh, sort of, uh, liked that, uh, you know, idea of, uh, body transplants, that the brain could have been just like, you know, a kidney and that the body would have rejected it. That's always sort of, uh, the excuse. I was sort of kidding myself with, with, uh, Igor, the ghost of Frankenstein like when I was little, you know, my, uh... Uh, excuse for universe continuity that you know maybe the body rejected the brain of Igor rejected uh, regress back to its uh, normal self all right here's what I uh, was bringing up a few scenes ago where, uh dr. Frankenstein um, Dr. Frankenstein uh brings up the idea that the way to save the monster and this experiment is to have him uh mate with uh Sarah and um, uh he wants to uh mate them together. <laughs> I like this moment here where uh, Simon says oh, I think you're mad and you know it's a moment that's you know he like said has happened all before and all uh, Peter Cushing can do is just sort of shrug it off and just say possibly <laughs> but you cannot divorce science from humanity to that extent mm-hmm. and I love uh, Cushing's reaction to this you know all he can do is uh, you know, just sort of like, it's the least passionate reaction because, you know, he's heard it so many times. It feels real, you know, in terms of examining the film, this character as a series. And this is interesting in terms of their uh, relationship and what you expect uh, from Frankenstein. You know, we've revealed that the whole thing has sort of become that the whole thing has sort of uh, uh, um, you know, like the whole uh, concept of the film of uh, Frankenstein the doctor uh, like you were introduced to him earlier, you think he's sort of a good guy he's on level, maybe he uh, um, he's finally found that humanity and all it has been is him blackmailing the uh, um, blackmailing the head of the asylum into letting him do whatever he wants with the patients for his experiments. It, like, It's just really the character really playing up as he's been before, this aboral man. But I think they frame it well in terms of Dr. Helder um, you know, it's kind of an interesting aspect of the story. You see Hilder with his hero, and, uh, you know, even though he is willing to uh, sort of tempt himself and delude himself, you know, and even he, you know, gives in to the doctor's plan to put Durandale's brain in there. But, you know, just seeing his hero uh, sort of and this life is kind of interesting. I think uh, Shane Bryan plays it pretty well, actually, because of um, because, uh, you know, just the way he wears his face there, you know, how sad he looks and, you know, um, the scene with the monster he has is pretty good because um, he wants to kill the monster here because he's so guilt-ridden and, uh, I don't know. Um, I like his reactions to the monster at this point because it really reminds you uh, of one aspect of the Frankenstein uh, story, you know, like when the creator looks at his creation and, uh, you know, just um, how horrible it is and, you know, never thinking what it would have been like before. and. That's what separates it from Frankenstein and, uh, because, you know, Frankenstein just sees every one of his creations in this series as a piece of, uh, you know, just a piece of material stitched together just to see how it worked out. And, you know, by this point, uh, Helder realizes what he's done is wrong. and. Uh, Just the way he's gotten to this point, I think it has been satisfying. Here we have the one moment uh, in the picture where it just sort of comes out of nowhere. And, um, It comes out of nowhere and it it works, I think. Uh, You see Sarah finally uh, talk and it just, uh, I think it speaks to Madeline Smith's performance there, you know, how into the muteness she was and, you know, how present she was. And just seeing her talk is kind of powerful because, you know, by this point in the film, uh, it's become all about her. And uh, how Simon wants to protect her. And, um, ironically, I think she's pretty, uh, a, um, a pretty strong female character. Maybe the strongest one Hammer has ever had, because the film starts off, uh, you know, with her sort of as a prop. And they talk about her, you know gets to the point where Frankenstein is so terrible of and just, you know, just using her as a piece of his experiment and seeing her, you know, finally get the strength to talk and, you know, she takes charge in that scene with uh, Helder and, you know, all he can say is oh, you spoke with me, she uh, gets uh, him to, uh, you know, finally solve this monster problem. And, um, that's why I like the arc of that character. Uh, um, you know, you could sort of conceivably see with what Hammer had done, um, that maybe they would have had her mate with the monster. Like, I, I don't know. like. It would have been a horrible scene. I think it would have ruined uh, this film, but the fact that uh, um, they don't do it, I think, is pretty, it's pretty interesting. (laughs) You know, they don't go for the, uh, you know, extreme, horrific moment, even though uh, it would sort of play into uh, pushing the envelope, but certainly would have pushed it. But, uh, um, by having them not do it, by having uh, Sarah get out of her regressive state, I, you know, I, I, it just is satisfying as a fan of those movies. And, you know, just seeing how these female characters are best, uh, depicted, I think it's a satisfying conclusion with the character, and she does a great job in performing her Madeline smith. Here we have Adolf Claus, enter the film, he's like, oh, we need to get a little drinky. <laughs> he uh, <laughs> wants to take um, uh, his little date there to see all the lunatics, because their antics are very droll. (laughs) It reminds you of um, the stories of Bedlam Asylum, how they would uh, uh, um, charge people admission, like a zoo, to see the lunatics and laugh at them. In fact, Karloff made a film with Val Luton about that which um, uh, uh, sort of starts off as um, under the guise of it being a uh, horror film, but it actually is really more of a sort of a political thriller in some ways about this uh, young woman standing up to Karloff and his uh, mistreatment of the patients there. You know, uh, this film sort of... Feels like a more extreme and sort of almost cartoony uh, uh, version of that story in some ways. True, in some ways too. You have the bad guy Adolf Klaus and the Baron. You know, mistreat the patients around the asylum. Eventually, uh, the monster and the lunatics come to uh, set things right. <laughs> He's still taking his little drinkies there, but <laughs> the monster behind the. Uh, curtain. <laughs> Here we have probably the goriest uh, death that Hammer uh, ever did. Yeah, it's satisfying to see this guy get his don't uh, muffins oh. The only thing I'll say is that you see this scene, you think it's going to be really, really, like he'll slam it into that guy's face. Instead, it's just sort of short and quick, and then the blood spurts out, like, almost too much for the amount of force that he did there. But, you know, it's always satisfying to see a horror character like that, who, you know, as, as uh, that... Dr. Klaus walked into the picture and wanted to see him get uh, what what was coming for him. The monster here, uh, this is an unsatisfying uh, conclusion for him in terms of how he uh, dies there. Uh, He just takes two gunshots to kill him, but this moment I really, really love. it. it completes what I was saying about building up this character of Angel, you know, being this strong female character who really, uh, you know, that the lunatics see as a sign of hope and uh, Prowse's hands there like I was saying. He wears them very well and uh, she goes up to him and he feels her hair, you know, uh, you know, just saying that he loved and cared about her. It really is sort of a touching moment there. And it, uh, the lunatics all burst in and uh, ripped the monster to shreds in sort of a sacrilegious, sort of sacrilegious, not sacrilegious Homer Simpson, but a sacrilegious sort of uh, moment that reminds you of communion in some ways, you know, Obviously there's a lot of uh, moments that uh, uh, about the Frankenstein myths that reminds you of Jesus Christ, but you know this one blatantly doesn't, it's sort of fun. Here we have uh, the ending of the picture. And I love this. It has uh, Cushing re-enter there, you know, the monster could have killed him. He just slashes his arm, and uh, he says, "Go back to your rooms. There's nothing more to see. It's all over now, and uh, all over. And it. Um, in some ways, you uh, sort of get the feeling that uh, he's talking about Hammer itself." And you know, just the fact that The Freak Show is over and that um, this classic, a rage of horror films is over that, you know, it ended in this huge moment. And you know, like they could have killed off Dr. Frank, it's like it could have even ended it here, but this is even better because, you know, um, uh, they don't uh, have the monsters die, or not the monster, Baird Frankenstein die in a moment that, uh, uh, um, that, that they don't have the monster die non satisfactorily effort. You get the feeling that uh, Dr. Frankenstein will just continue this until the end of time and uh, he just uh, uh, sweeps up his laboratory there and uh, you know it's just kind of satisfying I think um, because it reminds you uh, you know just um, I don't know like seeing how they've killed off the monsters before just the fact that Dr. Frankenstein is going to be added again and again. You know, it's sort of fun, and it um, warms your heart in <laughs> an odd sort of way. But, uh, of course, this film was the end of Hammer. I don't know if they intended to uh, keep uh, the series going, but the film was a huge box office failure, and... Uh, you know, it just came... I mean, it came out the same year as Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Exorcist. In fact, it's the 40th anniversary of the film. And so, um... Really, it was time for a new era of horror films. But I think, uh... They went out... Gothic horror and hammer horror went out on a high point. And... Uh, This is an entertaining film to all ends, and Peter Cushing is outstanding in it. And um, I really hope you guys enjoyed it. It was fun discussing Hammer with you. And, you know, discussing this film, which I hope I was able to articulate why I liked this uh, seldom liked film quite a bit. Uh, And, um, of course, I think it's a great film to watch on Halloween, and I hope you guys do, and hopefully with my commentary. But um, until next time, I hope you guys enjoyed this film. And um, there's one more Universal Frankenstein film. If you've been following me, you know which one it is. And uh, I really hope I'm able to deliver a good commentary for that one. And until then, we'll see you and enjoy.